welcome to the Possibility Podcast with me, your host, Sarah Knight. In this podcast, I explore what it means to be alive on the earth today amidst our climate crisis. And for me, that means getting very curious about all of this possibility that we carry around inside us. What if we could harness this and put it towards finding balance again and creating a better, more sustainable future? Hello and welcome to another session of the Possibility Podcast. Uh, I am delighted to have with me Belinda Farrell. Uh, Belinda is many many things as you will hear. She has at various times in her life been a teacher, an actress, a model, a stunt car driver Um, and she is now a healer uh, trained in all different kinds of things. She's got so many um, amazing tools in her box, hypnosis, NLP, Huna healing uh, and she is an author. I have just finished reading her book, Find Your Friggin Joy. Um, So thank you so much for joining me today, Belinda. Wow, I love that. Thank you for inviting (laughs) me. I feel honored to be here. Belinda, where I would love to start is really, and this, you know, comes across in your book, you have had a remarkable life. You have a remarkable life story. You have um, certainly experienced a lot of ups, a lot of highs, a lot of lows, a lot of challenges. And I would love it if you could just start by sharing how a teacher turned actress model, turned stunt car driver, becomes a healer uh, and and, an international author. Wow, that's a big loaded question. (laughs) I've always loved acting. Even as a little girl, we didn't own a car and we would go in the bus Um, with my grandmother, you know, to get groceries. And I'd go up and down the line singing to people with my hand out and to get quarters. And I I just loved the fact that I could entertain and get paid money. And it was more than what I was making at home. So um, I learned that entertaining was the way to go. And I think all my life I loved making people happy or changing their moods. When I was in high school, you know, I would do debate, um, plays, never dreamed that it would go like to Broadway or something like that. I I didn't have dreams like that, but I did have dreams of entertaining people. And, you know, I took the route. I did get married um, after I had gone to Washington, D.C. The CIA had recruited me after Berkeley. And... um, Yeah, I had a security clearance that took a year. And so I thought, well, I might as well give this a shot and see what what it turns out. It was not a good fit. I would probably not be here today talking to you had I gone with the CIA. But it got me to Washington, and I managed to get a job with a senator. And I was with Senator Charles Percy. And that was very exciting because I met my then husband, my only husband, at the time, and he was a medical student. And, you know, I was doing just the normal things, getting a teaching credential after that, leaving Washington after Bobby Kennedy got shot. He was um, just very close to our staff, and I couldn't stay in Washington after he passed. It just was not the atmosphere I was inclined to be in. 
So then going to Los Angeles, you know, I'm starting to be in the modeling community. It, it was just something you, you kind of fall into things. As doors open, you walk through them. And I think that's what always happened to me. I thought, gee, well, that sounds like a good idea. That'll feel good. So I would go for it. I never really went for, is that going to make me a lot of money? That was never the issue. It was something that I enjoyed doing. And then the money came as a result of doing that. So I dabbled with modeling while I was raising my children in my 30s. But then in my 40s, I had to leave. My spirit was being um, sledgehammered, <laughs> I guess is to put it. And I left the marriage after 18 years. And then I started doing firewalks with Tony Robbins. And that just, I don't know why. I, I think I was always afraid in my life. I'd been a good little Catholic girl and I always, you know, did what people told me to do. I wanted to make people happy. But it wasn't me. And so when I started to see somebody walking on fire, I thought, gee, what is that going to do? And it's really a metaphor for your life that if you can walk on 2,000 degrees of hot coals, then what else can you do that you thought you never could do? So I did 18 fire walks, and it opened the door for me to say to myself, I'd really like to drive a race car. I don't know where that came from because I didn't even know how to drive a stick shift. But Tony Robbins teaches you, if I can't, I must. If I must, I will. So you never say can't to yourself. I must. I must find a way to drive a race car. So I called a racetrack that was in Sonoma, near, near where I lived, and uh, went in for the Grand Prix road racing course. And I just I scared to death. I didn't know what I was doing. But I found out I had talent. And I could hit my mark. And after the four-day Grand Prix class, they hired me to drive for Buick and Cadillac up in Upper State, New York. And I was as far as the um, Niagara Falls, that's as far to Canada as I got. <laughs> wow. I mean, Belinda, that sounds like you had such a such a wake up i guess i mean you yeah you followed your joy and went for like well what what feels kind of exciting and what feels good but it sounds like you got to a point where that was good but there was a part of you that going well maybe there's something even better here yeah how did you how was it for you to step into that place of yeah not not i can't but i i will do that i must do that and and now i'm i'm really doing this you know how you've just been let out of a cage. I, I imagine what a bird would feel like if they'd been in a cage for years and years and they were just kind of going through the, you know, the, the, the symptoms and the roles that they were playing and then all of a sudden the door is open and they fly out and their wings just take off and they just fly. That's what it felt like. It felt just exhilaratingly high. And I never did drugs. I was just high on life. And the feeling that it would get that somebody would pay me an enormous amount of money to risk my life and I'd be in this amazing uh, environment, beautiful scenery. And they always do car commercials in great, great places. So I just started um, a career. And I was 42 years old. 
and I was a stunt driver until I became 50. And what happened then? I had a back injury. That's what the book is about, how I recovered from spinal degeneration. Uh, I wasn't listening to my body. I would just push it until I hurt. And then finally, my legs wouldn't support my body, and I was dragging my left leg. I couldn't uh, walk. I couldn't sit. My son picked me up off the floor and put me to bed. I was in such pain. I had an MRI, and the doctor said I would not walk again unless I had surgery. But the funny thing is, when you can't move, you can't perform. So I couldn't do any ramp shows, you know, for modeling. I couldn't do any um, stunt driving jobs. And my insurance was dropped. So I had no insurance. So when you have no insurance, you try to get very creative in your head. And I thought, during this time, I had also been studying the ancient Hawaiian healing in Hawaii. I had been studying it for about three years, helping other people, doing it for other people. And I thought, okay, I'm really challenged here. I have to see if this works on me. So again, physician heal thyself. And I did. That was what a lot of the book is about. Yes, you're in your book, you talk about in a, a matter of a few days, you... Well, I was in bed for a month, and I finally found an osteopath that could give me some coding to get out of the pain because you have to get out of the pain to concentrate on the healing somehow and that's what she did and day and night that's all I did was think of of healing my back and trying to get doing the ha breathing which allows the unconscious mind to have permission to bring up some of the unresolved memories that are stored in the body we have so much junk. It's like a closet that has never been cleaned out. And there's painful things there. And people don't want to look at it. So they want to keep closing the door and stuffing it in. And that's when you get sick. And in my lower back, I had a lot of um, just not really wonderful thoughts. Whatever you say to yourself, you create a thought that keeps going and working and working. I had been saying to myself that I was not being supported, that I couldn't um, stand up for myself, that I, that I couldn't be supported. Mm. And when the back hears that, the little unconscious mind, it's like a computer, it, so it's not supporting you, so it does exactly what you told it to do, mm. doesn't support you, collapsed. So I had to get in touch with that and reverse my languaging Tony called it transformational vocabulary. So I had to start holding my back and saying, thank you. Thank you for remembering to support me. Thank you for regenerating. And that's a key word to regenerate because you're going from something that's not, that's weak to something that's regenerating. It's going to become strong again. So day and night, that's what I did. I talked to my back in a, generous, loving way, and then allowed the memories to come up. And on page 109 is that one memory of the baby being thrown out into the universe like a piece of garbage. Yeah, that is a, that's a remarkable 
a story, which I would love for you to tell. Well, there was a, a part of me that came out and it was just like a little tiny baby fetus that was thrown out into the cosmos and just darting all these asteroids and comets and going, it felt like you were going a million miles an hour and just trying to maneuver out of being hit by some of these, this debris, it was chaos. And that baby was just petrified, just petrified. And then suddenly these hands came down and scooped up the baby, lifted her up and put her in the arms of a divine being. And I never saw the face of this being. It was just very tall, very loving, just in flowing robes that were the bluish, most beautiful blue color. And I was just cradled in the arms of this being. And I suddenly, and then I'd look down and I could see the chaos below me, but I was out of it now. I was completely out of it. And then I woke up and I was in a pool of sweat. I thought I had died and then come back into my body. It, that's what it felt like. And I was just, the memory of that child allowed me to call, call my mother. I just wanted to call my mother and I said, you've not talked to me about my birth. What is it about my birth that you have not said anything about? She was always very evasive, um, never met my father, but she finally told me that the two of them had taken me to three abortion clinics to have me aborted. And each time the doctor either started the operation, said it was too far along. Anyway, they were thwarted and I managed to come here. <laughs> Wow, and your and your your body carried the your being carried the memory of that trauma. Yeah, of just wow. not being wanted. You wow, know, just being thrown out because that's what an abortion is. You're throwing away that child. Wow, or that fetus. And all of a sudden, your lifelong drive to perform probably made sense, huh? Well, it was trying to get the attention of my father so he would come and claim me because mm -hmm. I didn't know where he was. I just know that I had never met him and never seen him. And I was always working hard to get people to love me. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, again, it's, it's one of the major wounds that this world has is yeah. the feeling of not having the worthiness to be loved or to have a relationship. Yes. Not feeling worthy. You're but at that moment, I did. I, I felt, wow, I was so loved by these spiritual beings, and they just had much more clout than my, you know, earthly beings, my mother and my father, that I was okay and I could relax. Yes, to feel that you were innately wanted and that you have a place here and that you are supposed to be here and you're valued and, and held can I ask you, you know, you, you talked about this and I completely agree this, um, this unworthiness that really, I think runs through an awful, all of us. I don't, I don't know you, you, in your book, you refer to the collective unconscious and to this, you know, the, the, the stories that we carry as a collective, the beliefs that we carry as a collective 
is this, what are the themes of our collective unconscious? Is unworthiness one of them? Or what are the, you know, what is this collective unconscious um, belief and the stories that we carry there? Well, again, things are passed on by collections of thoughts. Thoughts create things. Uh, when, when you hear a joke, suddenly, all of a sudden, somebody in Africa knows the same joke. Or it's, again, the thousand monkey um, thought that, you know, when all these monkeys learned how to clean their potatoes, all the monkeys in the world learned how to clean the potatoes. So I do think that worthiness is a huge theme and not feeling worthy. Um, it, it, I think that that has been probably something that we've all been touched by in one way or another. Yes. And, it, and even, it, if you're, even if you're really successful in life, if you haven't resolved the root cause of whatever it is that defines you, you're not going to feel happy. Yeah. And I you, you have the, an incredible expression for this. I hadn't heard before, but it's quite perfect. Um, the plaque of the soul, you know, that, that, that stuff that we, that we carry that we don't have to, just like plaque. If you brush your teeth, <laughs> you get rid of the plaque. So we don't have to carry this stuff around, do we? No, we don't. And I'm always going to the dentist and they're always telling me, you've got this plaque and you can't clean it out. And so I just thought, wow. That's just like our cords, like all our negative thought forms. If we keep pushing them down and not allowing them to resurface and to put a closure on it, we're going to keep being uncomfortable with it. And that's how neuroses and psychoses are born. Totally. So to take this then, you know, what I found, the title of your book, Find your friggin' joy. You know, on, on the one hand, it sounds quite simple, and we all think we have an idea of what joy is. But when I read your book, I realized joy, and you and you talk about this quite openly, joy is a term for something much deeper. It's about a lot more than just feeling kind of happy and satisfied in your life. Joy is an energy of, of, of expansion. It's a guiding force force or I guess that's what I understood when I read your book can you can you tell me about the a bit more about the energy of joy and and what it is and why it is that maybe we could really uh really use a bit more of that um, as a guiding principle right now you know when when you cut cords when you forgive yourself when you get closure on things you just feel good inside your body the guilt is gone or the anger is gone it's almost like taking an enema, you know, to be blunt, you know, you get rid of a lot of the debris that's in your body. And that feels joyful. It just, it just feels free. And one ounce of joy is worth everything. In fact, I heard Deepak Chopra give, um, never forget it, he, he gave a lecture on the chemistry that's within our bodies and how we make these chemicals by, if we're angry, we release a chemical that bruises the heart muscle. And when you bruise the heart muscle, the leading, one of the leading causes of death in this country is through heart attacks. You're tearing at your heart muscle with anger. 
And if you're fearful, you're lowering all of your healing energy. But if you're joyful, I mean, really, really just downward excited and exhilarated, you make this chemical called interleukin-2. And doctors and pharmaceuticals, they sell interleukin-2 to cancer patients for $20,000 a pop, a session. You make millions of dollars of interleukin-2 and you're just happy and excited and going on a ride at Disneyland or just being joyful you caught a fish or whatever it is that you exhilarate yourself with. And that's the feeling that comes from within you. And the more that you can cut the cords that bring you down, the more joyful you're going to be daily and contribute to a world that is really depressed and in a desolate way. We yeah. need your joy. Yeah. And, and I mean, from what you're saying, it's the joy wants to flow. All we have to do is clear the debris that's in the way and the joy will follow. Is that right? That's right. But you have to like, there's a mantra that I say to myself that has to do with the process of self-forgiveness that I learned from the Hawaiians called Ho'oponopono, to make right, right. And it's just, if something comes up or just saying it during the day, if you feel sad, you don't even know why you're sad and you don't even know why guilt has come into your life, but you just say, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You just say it. You don't know why, but you just say it. I love you. Mm -hmm. I forgive you. Thank you. That's all. And you don't know it's what it's doing. It's, it's erasing or the higher self is erasing this from your chart and it's allowing divinity to come and, and um, take its place. Ah, beautiful. This can, so now is the perfect time, I think, to tell us a bit more about this. And this is, you know, find your friggin' joy is a lot about the, um, this incredible technique, the Ho'oponopono that you just mentioned there. Can, can you tell us a bit more about these Huna teachings and the Ho'oponopono? It's Ho'o. Ho'o. Ho which means to make. Ho'o, to make. Ho'o. Pono means right. Ah. You're making right, right. You're making it two times right. And the Hawaiians used to do it as a family. They would gather as a family at sunset and watch the sun go down and they would bring up any anger or fear or hurt or bitterness that had occurred during the day because they didn't want to be stuck with that. They knew that it would have to come up and get washed away as the sun would wash away anything and go into the water. So they, they understood that clean, cleansing the inside was just as important as taking care of yourself on the outside. Wow. And this was a daily practice for them and done as a family. Right. And we do it. We can do it daily. I do it every night. Wow. Sometimes I do it during the day. It takes only seconds. Wow. You know, it's in as part of my own personal healing practice and what I work with my clients on is a lot of that um, idea that every single interaction that we have in 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 the day um we 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 send a little bit of our energy 
there. You know, we connect to people and we create something and we need to gather our energy back in at the end of the day, whether though that's from um, particularly, I think we leave bits of ourselves behind when we have a challenging interaction that isn't quite resolved. But I think we can even leave parts of ourselves behind in and having a beautiful interaction. You know, this idea that we just close what's happened in the day, gather ourselves back in, release the people that we've come into contact with, and then we start the next day, start the next day full. Um, this technique as you describe it then as part of a daily practice so so tell me a little bit more how is it actually how is it actually done well <clears throat> i have a cd called chant and forgiveness which takes people through that cord cutting process but literally it's like we have a film inside of ourselves and you put yourself up on a platform looking down below you on a stage or up in a tree looking down on the meadow. And you're gonna place people down below you, very tiny, you know, very, very tiny, because you're up looking down at what you created. This is, these are your interpretations of how you're connected to these people. So your mother and father, your ancestors, your family, um, authority figures, exes, just the whole gamut, and yourself. You put yourself down there as well. And then you see all of the members of your cast. And then you notice the cords that have connected you to them. They're like invisible strings. <clears throat> and then you just um, say, I'm sorry. Take a deep breath. Breathe down on them. Because the person you're forgiving is yourself. I mean, you're, you're, this, this is your interpretation. You can't change the past. The past has already done. The only thing you're changing is the way you're looking at that past. And is it promoting you uh, to go forward or is it continually keeping you away from your goals and keeping you locked up in the past? Yes. So that's why you want to do it. And then you just say the words, I love you, I forgive you, thank you. You take a cutting instrument, you spin it around you, I shake my shoulders, and then I watch them float away. And then you tuck the leftover cords back inside yourself. And then what happens is that you'll meet these people again, but you'll be at a higher level now to deal with the issues that you have between you. So it's very powerful because whatever you do, in your privacy of your home doing this cord cutting you can do it and these people can be ten thousand miles away and they'll feel it they may call you back on the phone and just say you know that thing that happened in 1987 i'm sorry i'm sorry i hurt you they'll call and apologize something will shift it's so powerful we can do it with governments with politicians, with what's going on now in the world. You can put that down and cut the cords from the way you're expecting it to look. And then it raises its vibration up to a higher level. That's how you can change the world. So I would love for you to talk more about that. It's recently I um, had to do a big cord cutting myself. Um, between what I, you know, I've, I've been engaged with, uh, our disconnection really, and our problem of disconnection in regards to the environment since I was 
13 years old. I've been aware of it. It's it's caused me distress. I've wanted to help. I've wanted to change things. I've wanted to set things right. And so I've, I think I've spent a long time becoming quite attached to my idea of the way things should look. And so what that has, I realized that meant is not only am I having to experience just the, the, the pain of what's actually happening, but a whole other layer of pain because I have attached to some idea of what things are supposed to look like. And so I went through my own kind of cord cutting process of, of, of letting go of what I, the way I thought things were supposed to be. And it didn't mean I let, I let go of my dreams or let go of wanting something better, but it, it felt like I made a whole lot of room for like, okay, so what's actually possible here? If I stop being so attached and fixated on the way things are supposed to I look and identified with my, my anger and my grief because they don't look that way, then maybe I can actually just sit in presence with, okay, so where are we actually at and, and, and what's actually possible from here? Now, I know in your book, you talk a lot about attachment as being kind of one of the core problems, actually, with progressing. Can you share a bit more your thoughts on that? Well, you just really kind of stated how uncomfortable it feels to want something to change because you see how it's supposed to be and it's not. And so you get angry and frustrated and you start creating more chords you know, more attachment to it. And our attachments are what makes us unhappy. We have to be able to let go of them every night. Every night you should put down the environment the way you see it, your perception of it, everything like that, and show the cords that you have connected to that. Do the cord cutting, I love you, I forgive you, thank you. Watch it float away and then watch the results of letting go of that and just see how much more expansive it will become after you've let go of that. I agree. That's an incredibly beneficial process for freeing up my energy. And I could imagine doing that. But at the same time, I feel like the energy of anger is quite important right now. Am I am I wrong about that? I feel like there's something about anger and saying no, like that is not okay. So how can we maintain the part that want that the part that wants to draw a line and say that is not okay and I will not stand for that anymore while at the same time working on releasing and forgiveness. Can they sit together? Well, you're right. I mean, anger does propel things to move forward as long as you don't direct the anger inside of you. <sighs> so I mean, anger can propel you going forward. But again, you just have to be careful that it's not consuming you. Anger is a momentous force. And you're exactly right. There's a difference between sitting at home and just stewing and and raging and using that energy for action and using that energy to propel me forward. Imagine a volcano, Pele. I mean, you say she gets angry when she erupts a volcano. It's all fire and brimstone and it just, and it creates a new island. So our anger is, some, is a very creative process. Mm. 
it, it um, moves things forward. It's a catalyst for change. But too much of it can create um, ulcers in your belly. Yes, of course, if it stays inward and if it's directed inward, yes. This technique then, in regards to where we want to get to, I mean, we are, we're being told that we need to make big shifts in the way that we live and that we've reached a, a point in um, our how we live as a collective, just the practices that we have adopted that are maybe no longer within the means of the the planet to continue to support us. So, you know, if we have to to start to make some shifts and we have to move and we have to progress and we and we have to grow, what can we do as individuals to support that big paradigm shift that that I think needs to happen and that probably on a soul level we we actually want to happen. Well, we're observing the shifts now. I mean, in 10 years, we're not even going to recognize this planet as it is right now. Mm. So it's like total acceptance. What, what happened? Oh, my gosh. It, it already happens. Mm. So how are you going to deal with what is already put into motion? How are you going to make the best of it? Mm. I think you have to make the best of whatever comes in front of you and just go with that flow that's what it means yeah anything you fight if you fight it too much you're going to lose i remember when i was learning how to swim because remember i i hated the water the dolphins recruited me and taught me how to swim and i was just starting to go into the water and be a little bit more comfortable and i got into a, a current that was just making me crazy and i was fighting it and i was losing my breath and I thought I was going to drown and I started yelling for help and all of a sudden this giant turtle comes up out of nowhere and I could feel and hear him just saying do what I do and I just looked into the turtle's eyes and I stopped fighting I stopped fighting the current and I started moving my arms just like a turtle just like the turtle and it he took me gently over the current over the waves and put me gently on this group of rocks and saved my life when i turned to say thank you he was gone so he was my my angel but i never forgot that because i was fighting the current so much and i was losing my breath and i was losing all energy and i realized that whenever you try to fight something that's right there in front of you and it's open and it wants you to accept it you need to go with that because you don't know what the greater good is going to happen as a result of that. You might be in a hurry and you want to get to where you want to go. And all of a sudden you're stalled and you're upset because you can't move forward as quickly. But there might be an accident down the way that is preventing you from being a part of. So I always, when I there's something that bubbles my my plan, my schedule, I say, okay, what, what do you have in store for me? <laughs> yes. I usually ask the question, you know something greater and something is causing this to happen. And so yes. you know better than I do. Yes. I love, I love that. You know, the idea that, yeah, we can, we can intend a destination, but to not get overly attached to getting necessarily specifically to that point or the route that we were supposed to take because we don't really 
know where we fit into the grand design of of flow and i i agree with you that by by resisting flow by living in resistance and that but no it has to happen this way and by exerting our will and our might and forcing things um we miss out on opportunities certainly right so even with our government we can be upset and we know we're going through some big changes in our government and how are we to know what is supposed to be the result of all of this? Yeah. We're just supposed to look with open eyes and kind of see a bigger picture there. Yeah. Belinda, I don't know if you, if you, if you don't want to bring this into this interview, that's okay. But, you know, in your book, you talk about the loss of your son and it's remarkable that you were able to to move through what you you know what you moved through and that you continued to find um a way to heal and to and to find joy in life and forgiveness for your you know all that stuff as a mom that you must have had to go through um would you would you be okay with sharing a little bit of your journey there or would you rather not? No, I, there isn't a day that I don't think of him. And we were very, very close and losing a child is probably the hardest thing that I think a parent could ever go through. It's, there are no words for it. There are no words. He's come back to me many times in dreams. I've talked to mediums about what his work is over on the other side. And it just, again, it was an overindulgence in, um, in drugs and painkillers. He was in so much pain with his back. He saw me healing, but he couldn't go into those emotional depths. Some people can't, you know, they, it's just not their, their turn in this lifetime. And so, you know, you, you can't help your family. It's just the bottom line. You, you can't help so much the people you love that you want to help. You can just show by example and love them exactly the way they are. Um, there, you know, I go through so much grief and guilt thinking that, you know, I could have done something more, but I did everything I could. And he had just uh, graduated from college. And he really just kind of gave up. He was in just so much pain with his back. And there wasn't, he had had two failed surgeries. And I, you know, I couldn't step into his body knowing I remember how much pain I had, but I had tools that I used. And he only trusted the doctors. And when you do that, you're going to be disappointed. You've got to have something in a tool bag to be able to help yourself. I'm convinced of that. So yeah, it was hard. Um, hard is not the word for it. Yeah. And it's still something that I go through. Yeah. It's a great loss. I have my daughter whom I love dearly, and she lives just a few miles away from me, and I have a grandson 
He's the joy of my life. He saved my life, really. Wow. Because um, during that time, I also was involved in a Ponzi scheme and lost all my money. So I couldn't afford to live where I was living. And my daughter took me in. Yeah, try to, the rug just got pulled out from under me completely. Wow. I had to sell everything that I had and just everything. And so my little grandson, little Eddie, he was just one year old and I took over the care of him and lived with my daughter and his joy when you're taking care of a child, you're in joy every day <laughs> and fun and play. And so he helped, he saved me. Belinda, like it's, it's remarkable the, you know, what I really got from, from what you wrote and what you shared about the, the hardest thing a parent can go through is that you, you managed somehow to, um, honor him and, honor his passing by dedicating yourself to to try to live even more fully you know and to try to just keep on what more can I step into here what more can I bring forth into the world here what more you know what can I what can I learn from this and how can I continue to 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 grow and 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 honor that he couldn't he couldn't do the work that I did. I didn't want to be a burden to people. And I knew that if I let my health go, I would be a burden. And that was just not on my agenda. Mm. I had to still take care of myself. So I would continue to cut cords, but still the grief was overwhelming. Yeah. And then finally a friend took me to see this um, film that featured Bruce Lipton and Dr. Eric Pearl. The Living Matrix. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. And I watched Dr. Pearl do this healing on this young Greek boy. And I was so infatuated with that. And I thought, I need to learn how to do this. So I took a flight to Chicago, got the training, came back. And then I started um, doing the reconnection and reconnective healing. So, yeah. You upped your healing another notch you might say that <laughs> so at one point in your book you talked about um what is it here you know why do we need to do this why do we need to heal and you said i don't know what pages or what was the context but i wrote it down in my little notes here don't be a sissy we need you was what you wrote and i thought yeah like that's the if we the world needs us to be our very best selves you are to talk about practicing what you preach you know if if you can do what you are doing even what you have been through yeah, anyone can do it. You're a remarkable example. But I, you know, it might be a good place to, there's a couple other things I want to ask you before we finish. But please, can you tell me a bit more about this don't be a sissy philosophy of yours? <laughs> well, it, people have to know that I'm, I'm a pusher. You know, I'm a catalyst. I, I demand a lot. And if you see somebody that has the potential and they're not using it, you want to give them that little nudge. That's all. And I, I don't know, sissy's the right word, but you know, you've just got to break through. 
you know, you got to change the vocabulary, I guess, and just make a breakthrough. Yes. And as you, um, and another, something else I wrote down that I absolutely loved, you know, that breakthrough, You, I think this is, this is what you meant in this sentence, dissolving our preconceived perceptions. Yes. You and know, that's what just, they are. Yeah. They're stories. And you believed in that story. And now it doesn't serve you. You're a big girl. You're a big boy. You can believe something else that can propel you to higher heights. Yes. I mean, what if you said, you know, I, I've had a lot of people that I used to live in Marin and you had to come across the Golden Gate Bridge to get to Marin. And some people had a phobia for crossing bridges. So in order to get to me to learn how to not have that phobia, they had to cross that bridge. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, they're just thoughts. And we imprison ourselves with these thoughts. And what if the thought was made out of paper and you had it all, you know, just entombed in this paper prison and you could just let the paper float away, you know, oh. up in the window and let the breeze come in and the paper just flies away and reconfigures itself into something else. Beautiful. Thank you, Belinda. Aloha. Namaste. Oh. And thank you for listening. I would highly recommend Belinda's book, Find Your Friggin' Joy, available in all the usual places. And you can find out more about her and her work on her website, hunahealing.com. Wishing you a beautiful, joy-filled day.